This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined uh, from Fokatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How are you today? Very well, indeed. And who are we introducing today? Uh, today it's my great pleasure to introduce Peter Harris. Uh, Peter is the current Economic Development Manager at Queenstown. At probably maybe either the least fun or the most fun to be the Economic <laughs> Development Manager of anywhere. Um, Peter has uh, some adult children so, uh, who are in Auckland, so trying to um, keep in touch with them while also trying to uh, keep an economic future for his region. It's uh, what a big ask, Peter. Welcome and thank you for that. Kia ora, welcome. Welcome, Peter. How has bubble life in Queenstown been? Uh, well, um, variable. I think in some way I described my job, my day job to somebody the other day as heaven and hell because um, I guess on one hand we are very lucky and blessed that, that people can come here and move around and... and um, the 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 blow from COVID hasn't been as deep and as uh, and as fast as maybe we thought it might be. So in lots of ways we're very thankful, but in other ways we are very dominated by tourism, and so our whole economy is um, living with a lot of uncertainty. So did you work through lockdown? Yeah, yeah, um, we stood up a recovery team pretty much right at the start and we all worked from home through the lockdown. Who did you have in your bubble? Uh, just Nancy, my partner, and I. So we were a very quiet um, lockdown compared to a lot of families with young kids So and lots of what we were both working through. So it was, um, it was intense, but we didn't have the juggle to do that a lot of people had when they had kids that were home from school and those sorts of things. So um, in lots of ways, our lockdown was probably a lot less stressful than it was for most people. And you're stuck in a pretty place. We are stuck in a pretty place and, and you can walk out our door and be on a track pretty easily. So if you wanted to go for a bike ride or a walk, uh, that was really easy to do. So, yeah, we're very lucky that we could get out did you see it coming? Not the pandemic, obviously, but the, as it was as as it was becoming apparent that it was going to be a, a pandemic. Did, did did Queenstown put things in place to to try and not head it off, I suppose, but to head off the impacts? 
it's it's being a tourist town uh it generally has to try and accentuate the positive because obviously nobody wants to go to a place where people are uh, talking up bad news so probably not is my answer um as it became apparent um uh, the the first thing that happened really was the, the realization that migrants were unable to access any any support at all, and that was a major issue for us. Um, and council basically became a social welfare agency from scratch. And the you mean looking after though the the migrant workers you have? Yeah, so we um, we stood up a civil defence response, a bit like what you would do after an earthquake or a flood. Um, and so that we we put in place um, a, a system for migrants to be able to get supermarket vouchers, and I think in total we had about seven thousand migrants put their and, and visitors put their hand up for that support. So I wasn't directly involved in that, but some of some of the people I worked with were, and it absolutely ringed them out. It was it was really stressful. At one stage, I think they had up to about a hundred volunteers and and council staff trying to um, offer support along the way so yeah that was a major um, a major issue right from the start and and while our mayor made noises to government um, we basically just had to stand something up in the meantime and has that resolved itself uh, the Red Cross have taken it over and it has definitely calmed down a lot um, it hasn't resolved itself in total in that there is still a very limited window for, for migrants to be able to get support but it's certainly not the not the panic that it was of the those migrants have that they're, they're here and have I imagine that lots of them have lost their jobs as well are they, are they stuck here or that they could go home uh yeah i think there's some there's a different story for every migrant is probably the reality um and and it's actually quite hard to get to the bottom of what's gone on. So uh, and there's different visa types. So it depends on what visa type you're on. If you're on a working holiday visa, then you can go anywhere you like and work for anybody you want. Um, if you're on an employer assisted visa, then you're locked into that employer. Um, and from what we know, we've probably seen um, between five hundred and a thousand of them um, go. So what is the, I imagine a big chunk of your job is what do we do next? Yeah, um, it, it's sort of trying to get a handle on what's going on and, and trying to help businesses think through how they deal with the uncertainty of that. And I guess that was highlighted when Auckland locked down for the second time. Um, we are, well, we have been very dependent on international visitors. And other than that, we've been very dependent on Aucklanders to come and visit our district. And so when the Aucklanders couldn't come, that was a major blow. Uh, but you're right. I think the conclusion that um, we've come to really is that COVID probably hasn't unearthed any problems that weren't there before. It just shone a light on them and made them more intense. Because people have been talking a long, for a long time about that we can't rely on ever-increasing numbers of tourists coming in for seemingly shorter and shorter times but i don't know if that people were listening to to that but this has really hit hard on on those questions 
Yeah, uh, yeah, it has. Um, so social license was an issue prior to COVID in terms of people, local, uh, some of the locals feeling uneasy about the numbers of, of visitors and the impact. Um, we, uh, uh, a lot of the tourism businesses are fairly um, reliant, if not addicted, to the need for migrant workers. Um, Productivity of tourism is a challenge, so therefore a lot of those businesses don't have the margin to be able to afford to pay decent wages, or not decent wages, but um, higher wages. So yeah, it's it's been a um, it's been a real challenge, and I think uh, a lot of people were just so busy being busy, it was really hard to get any traction with anything sort of long term and strategic around diversification and productivity, those sorts of things. So is is the council now helping the the community and the businesses rethink for for this year I mean, people are talking about this year being the great kiwi summer but but i imagine it's a whole different approach to to tourism or at least to, to marketing and 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 the, perhaps the products they're offering yeah um there are some of the businesses that have done okay with the domestic market and some of them um who were completely set up for international and uh have have really struggled and so there's a different story depending on what business you talk to um and i think i mean people are just trying to get by with the domestic market the domestic market can't fill the hole that internationals left behind um it's just whether or not you can keep your business alive for most of them let's take nina simone here comes the sun because we are going into summer here comes the sun, little darling. Here comes the sun. I say it's alright. It's alright. Here comes the sun, little darling. Here comes the sun. I say it's alright.
sent me a playlist that you created that your children added to during lockdown so you had a disclaimer on it that not all of these are mine did you pick that one uh yeah i think i did i think i did it was one of those days where you go well you've just got to look and and uh you mean we live in a lovely place um and i think that was a day where you go well the weather's good we, we need to be thankful for what we've got. Indeed. Are people diversifying beyond tourism? Uh, yep. Yeah, there's, there's, there's always been sort of hidden businesses in the district where um, people assume that every business is a tourism business, but actually there's, there's um, some pretty interesting businesses that are based out of here that aren't. But... Um, Diversifications all of a all of a sudden become a word that everybody wants to talk about, which has been it's sort of amusing in a way because I, I guess I've been banging on about that since I got here. But um, but the good thing out of COVID is that it's given it um, impetus that it didn't have before. So there's there's some really good people coming out of the wood, uh, a getting on with projects and sort of driving stuff, and b wanting to talk about how we do it. So uh, you know the positive side of it is that you've got um, I guess out of the pain people are going well what are we going to do so that we don't get punched in the face again next time something happens um, and so you know we've just got to take that and use it use that impetus while we've got it we've had discussions in the past before about how your job is economic development not necessarily business development, but the economy is made up of businesses. I suppose what I'm getting to is I don't really understand what it is that you do. <laughs> um, I guess our, I, I see, I mean, there's always a mixture of both. You know, you can't ignore the fact that, as you say, individual businesses are the, are the things that make up an economy and, and offer people jobs. I think our... Um, our job is slightly looking further further ahead than businesses might or might be able to, and I guess looking a bit broader than businesses might might or might be able to. So uh, we have Sharon on our team, who's who's basically her job is to try and think through workforce issues, and all of those workforce issues relate to individual businesses. But it's about I guess collective action rather than leaving individual businesses to do whatever they will. Um, so things around diversification and workforce um, productivity, they're, they're, they're systemic issues that we try and influence, I guess, um, because most businesses are just trying to work out how they're going to get through their day and don't have the time and the, and the energy to think about that big picture stuff. 
so the the big picture challenges so let's go with let's put a positive turn on it what are the big picture opportunities for queenstown um i I think in a visitor sense there's an opportunity for us to to um a couple of things one is that at the moment as you said at the start, um, we sort of value the visitors for what they spend for the three days that they're here. And I think that we're trying to start exploring the idea of a lifetime relationship with those visitors. So so one example is a backpacker who, from a tourism point of view, you might go, well, they're not that valuable to us because they don't spend that much money as a tourist. But if the backpacker went and picked cherries in central Otago for three weeks over the peak season, then the value to our community broadly is massive because of the value we get out of that cherry um also in terms of the fact that for a lot of migrants you know skilled migrants they don't just turn up in new zealand having never been here before so they've often been a visitor prior to coming or even international students international students don't uh, a lot of them will have some sort of relationship with new zealand whether it's their parents came here as a visitor so that's one thing that I think is really undercooked at the moment is is that sort of potential lifetime value of a visitor, and I think that's we're we're starting to scratch the surface of that. And I guess that was one of the shocks for me coming across from Dunedin to Queenstown is that you would come to Queenstown as that have no idea about the opportunity to study in Dunedin, um, or no idea about any of those other sort of ways of adding value. I guess that we can get out of a visitor. So that's one thing. Um, I think the other thing that I'm sort of interested in is we uh, the tourism industry struggles to to attract Kiwis into it, and and I think that that there's an opportunity in there in terms of the soft skills that that people need in the workforce, and, and the fact that the tourism industry actually offers and uh, offers those soft skills probably in a way that almost better than any other industry. So I, my, my long-term vision for that would be that Kiwis would see working in the tourism industry for a, some period of time as a rite of passage to, to prove their soft skills. And I think that um, tourism has probably tried to sell itself as a career, whereas for most people it's not. It's something that they'll do for a period of, t- period of time. So there's some opportunities in there. Um, I think there's some opportunities in terms of diversification in that uh this is a this is a district that does attract people from all around the world, and one of the other projects we're just kicking off is about how do we attract um, potentially expats, but not necessarily only expats, um, who want to have a change of life. And I guess that's one of the good things out of COVID is people are sort of relooking at what they want out of life. Um, and how do we attract those people to come here and build teams around them to help us diversify our economy? And uh, Kiwi expats abroad, Kia, have just finished a survey of 15,000 expats. And so they're um, in the process of releasing that research. But we've had a wee sneak preview and there's some pretty pretty strong um, uh, demand or strong intention for a lot of expats to come back. And I guess if we can tap into them and attract the right ones back to the district, then I think that's pretty interesting. Do you think that we're succeeding in the move from individual businesses seeing it as being entirely competitive to some sort of collaborative or at least cooperation model? 
um, I'm not sure whether we're seeing a sea change in that. Um, I think that um, there is some, I mean, I think probably there is more collaboration now because of COVID than pre-COVID. So people are sort of, you know, in times of crisis, people sort of um, combine forces a bit quicker, I think. So yes, whether that'll last or not, we'll wait and see. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi aroha nui, kia koutou, koutou I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstar in your beloved universe. I really hope that wherever you are, whatever's happening on you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are, the triumph of nature. Perfect, unique and here, making things better. Thank you. So I've had a really wonderful day and of course I'm very excited to talk to you about it. I really love these five minutes together each day. And as we all know, we've just had this incredibly fascinating year. So many different modes of being and feelings and shifts and change and traumas and discoveries, revelations, understandings, deepening of connections, I'm sure, for all of us with ourselves and all life that surrounds us in an infinite web. And I hope for you a deeper appreciation of who you are and what you can do. And, of course, the wonderful support of the environment around you. So today I made a very exciting decision, of course, which is that now we're all united in freedom once again together, which is just such an achievement. I hope you all feel very proud. I am choosing to make sure I'm choosing to dedicate my time and energy I'm choosing to commit to matching my year at Beloved Bar Base, which is the wonderful exercise emporium that I love to go to each day. And for me, I did this last year as well. It's a wonderful, wonderful goal to be able to say that I've done 365 classes in 365 days and of course what with everything happening this year in the way that it has even though the amazing Rosa Anderson Jones put on online class for us and everything like that I'm still 71 classes away from matching my year and I have to match my year by November the 16th which is only 18 days away so I believe in myself and I'm going to go to every single bar class that I can. And I'm also doing one-on-one -on -one sessions with Rosa Anderson-Jones, our bright star. So it's really a very exciting challenge for my ho'oratinana, my physical well-being. But as we know, our physical well-being affects all aspects of our universe. And so it really is a wonderful, wonderful place to start to direct our time and energy and focus. And then just enjoy all the benefits that flow from that. I also had a really wonderful day having some great assistance from beautiful Mia, daughter of my beautiful friend Dallas. And because she was a gymnast, you know, for many years I was able to ask her advice as to the best way to care for myself as I'm undertaking this intense physical workout regime challenge. And I'm very grateful for the support of everyone around me in this time of newfound freedom and independence. And particularly wonderful Leslie, wife of wonderful Sam, has been very supportive and she has said she will join me in this very exciting bar-based challenge. So I'm supremely grateful to Leslie for all her support in all aspects of my life. But I know that we will really enjoy 
this challenge together. So I really hope that for you, in whatever way you are choosing to care for yourself at this time, you are seeing that around you there are many, many life forms that can help you, not just other human animals who have had experience and draw upon and who I'm sure want to support you and nurture you in the adventures you are choosing to undertake, but also the myriad life of different species that surround us at all times. And I hope you're having the opportunity to feel that sense of connection and that sense of wonder who you are as triumph of nature's art amidst an infinite web. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much, You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Peter Harris in Queenstown. Peter, what do we think is going to happen next year? Oh, um, I think everything's going to happen slower than what we might hope. Um, certainly it has so far. So when we when COVID first hit here, there was hopes of, well, originally there was hopes of uh, an Australian bubble for the July school holidays and then it morphed into the September holidays and now they're talking about late next year. So, I mean, I think we need, well, I think people are getting their heads around this is a long haul. It, it is, and does that mean... Uh... A, a transformation of of Queenstown, or is, is it a, a hunker down and, and and wait for the good times to come back, or is is this a new some sort of new normal? Um, I think as soon as borders open, then I think you I mean it's in our DNA to, for people to travel. So I I think that that the demand will come back, and in fact, probably it's almost like uh, we could end up with a flood rather than a trickle because I think New Ze- the brand of New Zealand is so strong now and um, people's desire to go somewhere different will be so strong that I guess I mean, it's, it's hard to know but it may well be that we end up with really strong demand out the other end. Um, is it going to be a transformation? I think that um, well the potential is there but I suspect that the, I mean there are some people going you know this is the time to completely transform how we see tourism, but um, I I think we've got to be realistic about, I mean, when you get down to the bottom of going, well, how are you going to do that? What are the tools in the toolbox you've got to actually make that transformation? It's, it's The conversation gets a bit harder because it's easy to say we need to completely do a reset, but actually how are you going to make that happen is is never never simple. Once you, once you delve off the philosophical level and get into the practical, so what are you going to do, um, it, it gets much, much harder. Does Queenstown have a, 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 a change in tourism model? Does, is it thinking about what does slow tourism look like for us, for example? Um, yeah, and I think it depends on who you ask. I think there's a whole lot of people in Queenstown who are, you know, uh, very um, excited, I guess is right. I don't know whether that's the right word, but uh, are going, look, you know, this is a time to completely do a reset. But uh, the next person to them in the supermarket will be trying to keep their business alive and trying to keep their staff employed. And, and potentially, if you start talking to them about long-term transformation, they're going to hit you or want to hit you, simply because they're going, I can't pay my bills, I can't pay my staff. And talking about transformation is sort of, uh, it's a bit like when you've just been hit by a bus 
the physiotherapist coming and talking to you about you know long-term recovery it's not really what you want to hear at that time so i think the the fact is that there are there's such a variety of opinions here you've got some people here who have an income that isn't reliant on tourism and have the time and headspace to talk about transformation all day and you've got other people who are just really struggling to actually make ends meet so you talked about how queenstown thrives on accentuating the positive on an external messaging how's that going internally um it's a juggle uh because i think that as i say the tourism industry needs to needs to tell a positive message for people to want to come and visit um it's been interesting well sort of interesting maybe isn't the right word um but in terms of the migrant support, then obviously we needed to, we needed to shout pretty loudly to government that this wasn't good enough, and that we needed some support to be able to help these people who were here. Um, and then we also did some work with Infometrics to predict what the economic impact might be, which basically was pretty horrendous. In that it, they predicted that we would lose one jobs, and we would have the biggest. Uh, job loss rate, or not, we would have, the, I think it was the fifth biggest job lo loss rate behind the major cities. Um, now, that hasn't transpired, and I guess time will tell whether or not that's just a matter of time or whether, in fact, things aren't as dire as what they predicted. So uh, we've, we've been sort of um, constantly juggling that, uh, the story that we need to be, you know, getting on with a, a positive view of the world with the fact that... Um, a, people have been hurting, are hurting, and the predictions are still pretty pretty challenging. But I think the reality is no, I mean, that, that nobody would have picked the domestic demand that has probably kept quite a lot of the businesses alive. Um, and to a certain extent, we'll look back in a year or two and go, oh, yeah, of course, but right now, um, there's not many givens. We've talked about this a bit on the show about how we're looking for that sweet spot of being positive without being deluded. And, and thinking, listening to how you're describing your role, that seems to be you're having to find that sweet spot. Yeah, and I think it's um, like to me the positive side of it is that there are fundamental issues that, as I say, were there pre-COVID that. Um, I think we have an opportunity to move forward in a way that we wouldn't have had the opportunity for if COVID hadn't struck. So that's what probably keeps me positive is to go look at the diversification work, the productivity work, um, some of the workforce initiatives. Uh, people are talking about ideas and ways of doing it that, that some of those ideas I'm going, well, that's something that we floated a couple of years ago, but just didn't get traction. So, you know, there's an opportunity now to get traction for stuff that um we'd been we'd tried to float but um and that's pretty normal i think when when businesses are busy and people are busy is that you don't look under the under the bonnet and work out how to do things better when all you're trying to do is cope have there been any ideas that have come out that, that have surprised you that have had your fist pumping saying yes that's a good one um uh, there's been a lot of ideas. Um, a lot of them are very much sort of, uh, well, a lot of them assume that council is a suggestion box that you can give something to council and they should just go and do it. Uh, and that 
doesn't ever work because ultimately we're thin on the we were thin on the ground the day that idea came in and we're more thin on the ground than ever probably now. Uh, so you need, I mean, in the end, ideas aren't what you need. You need people who are going to drive them, and they are, those people are few and far between. Although, I mean, there's been some really good people step up. So, uh, have is there ideas that have surprised me? Um, probably not many, to be honest. Um, and and I guess, uh, and maybe I'm just um, uh, been around too long. I I will be I will be excited by them when I see them happen. Ideas are cheap. Let's take. The second of not quite your music choices, but that your family's music choices. Let's have April Sun in Cuba, Dragon.
Peter, we've seen lots of societal level sorts of changes over the last a few months. What do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick? Uh, can you give me an example of what, what you're thinking about? I'm just trying to... I'm thinking about how we have... We got to spend time with our families um, and thinking about what was important. Um, I'm thinking about the the fact that the, the messaging that's come from central government has, has very much enabled uh, a feeling of the, the team of five million. Yeah, I think um, it, it's been. I mean, I think families. I think families spending time together over lockdown was probably really hard, but uh, certainly I think that's part of what prompted the domestic market. Um, after lockdown, people wanted people actually realised they quite liked hanging out together as a family, and that's part of I think what what sparked um, the demand down here for families to actually just go on holiday together, whereas previously they might not have done that. Um, so I think that's a really good thing. I think um, the whole idea of of working from home and remote working and people having choices about where they work, I think, has sort of opened up that conversation, and I think. For some people and some organisations, that's really exciting because it, I think it just gives you. Uh, it gives if it's done well. I think it gives organisations and individuals choices that they possibly didn't have before in terms of how do you tap into to talent that may not live where you live, but also how do you how do you work in a way that works around um, your life better than you having to work around commuting and all those sorts of things. So I think that's a really positive thing. It's going to be interesting in terms of uh, how do we look after people who have lost their jobs out of COVID um, and how do we take some of these industries that have been sort of almost addicted to migrant labour and is that is this going to be a, a, such a big challenge to them that, that we're going to have to think through fundamentally how what sort of work what sort of work Kiwis want to do, what sort of work they don't want to do, and how do we make some of these industries more appealing for Kiwis to spend some time in? I think there's some pretty interesting challenges there, which if we could get it right, might be really positive. Do you think that, you know, there will be people who were thinking that they were heading for a tourism career? Do you think they should, should should we still be following that path? Is, is Is it going to come back? Uh, yeah, I think it will. I don't. I. I think. Um, yeah, I think we might be surprised how fast it comes back when things do open up. But it's gonna. I think it's gonna happen further out than we might have thought. But um, I think fundamentally, moving from A to B and exploring new places is in our DNA. I don't think people are going to stop doing it. Um, it is going to get more expensive, and it is potentially the opening up of things is going to happen slower. But I think that. Um, I think that hosting people and and offering hospitality is never going to stop happening. Yeah. What do you think we can learn from the pandemic response for questions such as climate change or longer term sort of social inequity type questions? I think, I mean, you'll talk about slow tourism. I think the fact is we need to think about 
but coming back to that sort of lifetime value of a visitor, I think we need to go, actually, we want to, and I, and I uh, wrote an article the other day talking about moving from a three-night stand into a long-term relationship. So I think we need to actually go, the people who are visiting us, we have an opportunity to have a long-term relationship with them. And I think if we see things in that way, then A, that's good for them and it's good for us because we we are an export country. We need to sell things to people overseas. Otherwise, we are we can't have the lifestyle that we would we want to have um, because our domestic market is so small. So we need to be an export economy. Um, and I think that actually the the ability for us to have a relationship with those people is is much much bigger than what we are doing now are we moving on the opportunity to move beyond adrenaline you're talking about longer term but also for for longer term tourist experiences i'm thinking uh, of my yeah i'm thinking of my parents who for the last few years have gone and spent a couple of weeks on painting safaris around parts of Italy. You did a fantastic walk down Italy, didn't you? Uh, Spain. We did the Camino. Okay. But similar sorts of Um, things. Oh, for sure. Yep. And I think it's um, age and stage stuff. I think there is always going to be people who want the adrenaline rush, um, and and Queenstown does that really well. Um, But you're right. I think there's also that sort of soft soft adventure um you know and i guess the otago rail trail is a good example of that where you know you can go and have had an adventure without really putting yourself in any risk um so i think it's a combo deal um i think there's probably going to be more we're probably well um well set up for the the quick adrenaline rush and i think there's still lots more that can be done around that sort of slower soft adventure I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Hmm. Um, well, one of the things I did when I came here is there had been uh, there'd been a few people um, supporting startup businesses here but very much on a voluntary basis so they'd run maybe one or two startup weekends so uh, since I've arrived we've set up a, a um, startup support trust startup Queensland Lakes and um, that's starting to get a real hit of steam and that's really exciting because there's some really um, interesting entrepreneurs and they're not necessarily just young there's some of these people are sort of um, uh, experienced entrepreneurs who have moved to the district who really didn't have a, a a home to to go to or a, or a network and so we set up a trust um uh they convinced council to put in money and so they, that's that's pretty exciting um and it's nice to think that that's um you know that may have happened without me but i think probably i gave it a bit of a kick along so i'm, I'm proud of that so are things like startup weekends happening yep we had one last year there's one coming up at the end of november over here um and there's quite a a process of um, startup support for people with ideas. They can sort of graduate through different levels of courses. Um, There's a founders group that meets over a meal every month. Um, There's sort of quite a lot of different layers of startup support happening. So that's 
that's really encouraging. And, and some of the people, I mean, in fact, there's some people that sort of got trapped here with lockdown um, from Silicon Valley and other places who have sort of decided, well, actually, maybe I can run my business from here. Uh, there's one guy who is, uh, has designed an electric motorbike, um, high-powered electric motorbike, and he um, happened to sort of be here at lockdown and has decided that he's going to do it from New Zealand instead of um, China, which is where he was, well, that's where he was based prior to COVID. So those sorts of things are pretty exciting. Mm. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? <laughs> um, I think um, I, I'm, I guess I'm interested in the big picture puzzle stuff and, and that motivates me to try and go, well, okay, we've got some really short-term issues, but I think that um, I'm always intrigued by that, whether we can put the pieces of the puzzle together better. Um, and I think that, um, and I guess the optimism that we can. We've certainly seen over the last few months that we can do stuff when we want to. Yeah, I think so. And I think that out of a, I mean, and I, the, I won't get the quote right, but there's the quote around, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think um, that's what we're trying to do. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? <laughs> um, activist. I'm not sure about activist. Um, uh, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm in, in a while I wear an economic hat, I guess I'm trying to make social change. I'm trying to get people, I'm trying to give people choices about how they earn their income and um, that that income does no harm. So what motivates you? Um, I think that, I think being able to sort of um, nudge along um, people that are, I mean, two, two things, I guess, maybe one that they're willing to collaborate. Um, so that's really heartening when you get businesses who, as you said before, they're not competing, they're, they see that they're part of something bigger and by doing it together, they can get there. And I think that's, that's really motivating. Um, and also just, being alongside um, some of the creative people that um, have made stuff happen. So on Wednesday night, there was a group of businesses pitching for investment um, here in Queenstown. And um, one of the guys that was doing that was um, Chris Hilda, who four years ago, I facilitated a co-starters course in Dunedin. And he came along with the idea of creating a home uh, coffee roasting machine. And um, I remember on the final night of that course, he brought along his prototype, which was based on a um, popcorn maker and looked like something that a 12-year-old had made. It, it just looked really rough and ready. Um, and he's gone on to design a really beautiful um, uh, automatic coffee roasting machine called Cafe Logic and is, um, you know, making a business out of that. So that sort of stuff's really exciting because you go well I, I saw him at the start and while I was only a tiny part of what he's achieved I mean he's put in the hard grind um, I think when you when you feel like you've been a little part of somebody realizing their dreams like that that's pretty exciting
And if you add into the mix all of the people that have ever gone through the student startup through Audacious, that's a big impact. Yep. 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 That's right. So, I mean, I think in the end, we don't, uh, we can never lay claim to creating jobs or creating businesses or anything like that because in the end, it's the it's the entrepreneur that puts the grunt in. But if you can be a little influence in the right direction, then that's, I guess, where you get your motivation from. So what is the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, well, we've already going on in diversification, but the potential for that is much, much um, bigger than what we're, what's happening at the moment. So we're in the process of, of kicking off a diversification plan. And I think that if we can get the grant, if we can get the sort of resources behind that and the influence behind it, then that's that's pretty exciting because I think that ultimately something else will happen in the future here that will um, will kick tourism and whether that's an earthquake or the earthquake that's inevitable or something else, um, we need to build up some resilience so that we've got other choices. Um, but I think that, that uh, I'm sort of excited by that because there are people who um, are here who are keen to do that and also, as I said, with the expats desire to come home, then if we can tap into that talent pool, um, I think that's pretty exciting. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? <laughs> um, I, I, I think uh, if you can, let go of the short term um, because what's happening around us is is you can get tied up in both whether it's the politics or the or the health re related stuff around COVID. I think for me anyway, it's it's focusing on what we can do that's going to make a difference in five years. Thank you very much for that, Muera. It's um it's such a tricky time, Peter, isn't it? And uh, trying to balance growth and sustainability, trying to create a future for our people but also ensure that we've got you know those opportunities with tourism coming in and you know seeing them as a workforce and it is a really it's a tricky time and you have all the challenges in a way that most of us have just been able to get on with life but but your life has will have changed fundamentally um thank you for that all the work that you're doing and people who are in roles like yours all over the country and for the difference that you're making for our future as a country thank you for that thank you very much for joining us let's go out to Florence on the machine dog days are over
to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations of people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed in podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and in Queenstown, Peter Harris. We hope you enjoyed the show. Run fast for your mother, run fast for your This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.